Welcome to the Stop Animatics Podcast with your hosts, Donnie and Rob. We're here to help you thrive in a world of big data and complex analytics. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Stop Animethics Podcast. We're glad you're with us again today. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to continue a conversation about perception versus reality. Uh, even though we live in a world that is full of big data and complex analytics, uh, we still rely on our psychological and sociological processes to provide meaning for that data and information. And so um, we're continuing on this series where we talk about uh, some of the large disconnects that exists between what is going on in reality versus what people believe is going on in different topics. And so last week we started with traffic accidents. This week we're uh, talking about crime. And it really is another good news story. And again, not to minimize uh, anybody who's been the victim of a crime, um, but the United States has seen dramatic decreases in the crime rates over the past 25 to 30 years. And so on today's episode, we'll talk about that and uh, explore that a little bit more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Rob, I hope you're doing uh, well this week. Uh, glad to see you. Hope things going going good in your neck of the woods. How are how are things for you? Going well. How about you, Donnie? Uh, doing good. Doing really good. It's uh, again another beautiful day. It should be on the you know postcard for North Carolina. It's just been sunny and you know good temperatures and just amazing here the past the past several days. Um, and not to bring that down, but today we are going to talk about uh, crime and perceptions and, you know, the reality of crime and, uh, you know, what is really going on in the United States? Like, what do we know based on the information that we have uh, relative to crime? And, and I guess, uh, you know, in, in, in sort of transparency and fairness, I guess we should start with our own perceptions of what's going on with crime. And so I'm curious, Rob, what, 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 what do you feel about it? Like, what do you think is going on with crime in the United States? How do you feel about what, uh, what level of crime there is right now versus in the past? Yeah, I, I'm a little conflicted because I don't really know. Like I know that I see a lot on TV, you know, a lot of uh, crime on TV, but I keep hearing that statistics are going down, but honestly, I don't follow the statistics that closely, but I would say I really don't know. What about yeah. you? Yeah. I'm kind of in the same situation. Um, like I, I know for me, I've actually had or been the victim of crime on multiple occasions and, you know, I, I think about it, and actually, majority of those things happen when I was, um, you know, sort of uh, college and shortly thereafter. And so it was kind of the uh, the '90s, I would say, somewhere in that time frame. And so I really haven't had, except for our car dick broken into a few years ago um, at our house, which is a little bit unnerving. But um, you know, aside from that, I really haven't experienced a lot of crime recently. But I did experience a few different episodes when I was. Uh, when I was, uh, you know, closer to college age in the, in the early 90s. And so, yeah, I, I guess if I just look at the evidence, it sort of feels like maybe it's not as prevalent as it used to be. But I will say I struggle um, against being a father and a husband and, you know, having a home and that kind of stuff. Like, I think my um, tension around crime is higher now than it was back then. And, uh, you know, my my fear of something bad happening, someone breaking in, someone stealing something is definitely 
uh, higher now just because there's stuff, there's a family, I want to protect them, you know, all those kinds of things. Like, like for you, do you, do you fear crime now more than you used to, or? I would say I'm definitely more vigilant. Like I think in your twenties and thirties, at least for me in teens, twenties and thirties, it was more like, you know, charging into the world. I I was like most kids that age, I I was unbreakable, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, but now there's, there's so much more to lose with, you know, the family. So yeah, I think about it more for sure now. Yeah. And so, you know, all in all, I guess if, if I think about like what I sort of feel in my gut relative to the crime, I'm a little bit more tense about it than I used to be. But if I think about my personal experiences, I haven't had nearly as many sort of uh, crime interactions, uh, for lack of a better word, um, recently as I did when I was younger. And so um, I'm like you, I'm kind of left somewhere in between thinking maybe it's about the same, you know, maybe it's sort of uh, around the same level that it used to be. Well, that could also just be a matter of where you lived when you were younger. Cause I know for me, when I experienced uh car, you know, my car getting stolen or broken into, I lived in crappier neighborhoods cause I was younger and I had no choice. Right. right. So that, yeah, that, that might just have no bearing on, yeah. on the actual, on the actual statistics. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting if you, um, if you look, there, there are people who study this kind of thing on a regular basis. And if you basically go out and ask people across the United States, Um, you know, what's going on from the perspective of crime, you'll actually see that uh, way more than half um, in the, in the last one, it was actually close to, I think it was like 78% of people said that uh, crime is worse than it was a year ago. Um, And so in general, in America, the perception that we have is that crime has been going up and, you know, this has been relatively constant um, all throughout the two thousands that, you know, it's half or more of people believe that, you know, crime is going up in the United States. And, th- and there is a little bit of phenomenon, by the way, I should say. And uh, depends on how the question's asked. One, one, of the, one of the challenges is if we don't know the answer and somebody asks us, you know, what's the probability that crime is going to go up or, prob- you, know, what, you know, what's your likelihood that crime has gone up? Um, a lot of times people answer 50-50. But um, the evidence in general is pretty convincing that the perception of the United States is that crime has been going up and it continues to go up. And that gap really spiked over the last year or two. Wow. And, and is, that actu- is that in actuality what happened? Yeah. And this is where it gets really, um, I think, interesting. So, uh, no. Um, so last week we talked about traffic accidents. And, you know, even since we've had that episode, I've, I've asked probably 30 or 40 people their perceptions. And they were all the same that, yeah, clearly roads are more dangerous. Maybe there's some better safety features and that kind of thing. But yeah, they all thought traffic deaths were going up. And so there's there's that disconnect. Um, and, you know, the good news story is that traffic af- accidents have been going way down and, you know, feel free to go back and kind of listen uh, to that conversation as well. Uh, but here's another good news story. Crime over the past couple, three decades is way, way, way down. Like if you, if you know, I know you've seen some of this information, but before actually talking about this, if I said, you know, how much has violent crime gone down in the past 30 years? What, what do you think you would have said? Um, prior to seeing some of this information? I would have said, I have, I have no idea. Uh, maybe it went down a little, I probably would have said, because I, you know, I see so much on the news. Um, yeah, I would say it probably stayed the same or went down a little. Yeah. If you, if you had told me that it improved, I would have said it maybe marginally. Yeah. The fascinating thing is, is you, you can think about this in different categories, but um, you know, both violent crime and property crime are down by more than 50%. So, um, 
the reality is that crime is uh, basically half of what it was in the early 1990s. Yeah, I would have to say that doesn't match my perception. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it matches to most people's perception, right? So, um, you know, I, I will do the same thing again over the course of this week, I'm sure. But uh, as I talk to people and as I've talked to people in the past, um, you know, pretty much everybody thinks that crime is getting worse, that the world is getting worse and that things are, you know, not moving in a positive direction. And so um, this is a situation where you go out and you ask people in the United States, is crime getting worse? The majority of them say that it is. And if you just look over time, year over year over year, since the early 90s, crime has actually been going way down. It's been going down in terms of violent crime, which includes things like murder. It's been going down in terms of uh, property crime, which, um, you know, categories like auto theft and those kinds of things, which auto theft is still a really big deal. Um, But all of those crimes have been going down so much so that it's been cut in half over the past 30 years. Okay. So with the, the traffic accidents, I, you know, anecdotally, I'm driving around. We talked about that. I, I, it just looks worse to me. So what plays into what plays in our perceptions these days for crime? Well, I think there's this general thing. And, you know, this is, again, the challenge. Like we, we, we want to have accurate perceptions, but there's an interesting phenomenon, um, which is that we, uh, we, <laughs> we have a tendency to want to prepare for things that are risk, right? And so, Sure. Um, those people who overestimate the risk are going to be more likely to actually prepare for it. Uh, and so I think there's, uh, on average, this sort of natural phenomenon that um, we assume the worst, we assume things are getting worse, simply because that means that we will prepare for or do the things to protect ourselves from the worst actually happening. And so it is uh, basically a survival mechanism, right? That, that if we assume the worst and we prepare for the worst, then we ensure that, you know, nothing sort of life-threatening will happen to us where you try to minimize those odds. That's survival, right? And so I think part of it is just an aggregate uh, that folks are in this situation where they're trying to prepare for and recognize this risk. And so they tend to inflate uh, those numbers in their minds and in their in their heads. Okay. that That sounds like something I, <laughs> I would do. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the interesting thing, though, is and I think we should probably take a, a quick break and then, you know, come back and talk about this. But the the most interesting thing about this to me is um, that number that we talked about, that 78 percent of people uh, believe that crime has gone up over the past year. Um, that is when you think about it in the United States as a whole. If you ask the same group of people, uh, has crime gone up in your local area? Uh, I believe it's less than a third or somewhere right around a third of people. Um a little, actually, a little, a little over a third. Thirty-eight percent of the people will say, in their area, crime has gone up, and the trend line has been. And so they've been doing these surveys since around two thousand. The trend line has been that the percentage of people who say that crime has gone up in their local area has actually gone down. So um, that trend matches what is actually going on in crime. However, the percentage of people that say that crime has gone up in the U.S. has been going up or at the very least been steady and has a sort of a massive recent increase. And so the question is, you know, why does the perception at the local level, um, while still overestimated, why is that closer and less biased than the estimate of the national level? And I think that is probably the most fascinating question in all of this data and all this information. Okay. Well, I think I have a theory. Can we talk about it when we get back? Sounds great. Looking forward to it.
before we went to that last little break, uh, we were discussing the, the the fact that if you ask people about their local area, um, the trend associated with the answer of whether crime has increased at the local area matches what is actually going on. It's It still overestimates the risk, but it, the trend matches. Fewer people think crime is going up in their local area now than they did uh, in the early um, 2000s, or at least around 2005. Um, on the other side, if you look at the trend line of has crime in the United States gone down, um, that has been holding steady or going up um, in the sense that a majority of people think that crime has been going up in the United States when clearly, uh, based on the actual evidence, it has not. And so uh, when we came out of the – we're going into the break, you said you thought you had a theory as to why that's true. I, yeah, it's. I think it has to be the amount of news we are inundated with. So you look at you know, a few decades ago when I'm growing up, you the only news source you got was the daily paper or the evening news, right? And those typically covered local stories. They only had a half hour on the news and a certain number of sections in the newspaper to do national or local news. And that was it. But now I walk around with a phone and I, I don't know what you do, but I, I, I scroll through Google News. So I get news feeds from all different news sources and it's constant. So I'm learning about the guy that was hit by a car in Wisconsin, a murder in Oregon, you know, triple murder in Texas, and it's it's 24-7. I'm getting every news feed, you know, anything that rises above <laughs> shoplifting, I'm getting it to my phone every day, all hours of the day, whereas before I didn't see that. And I didn't hear about these crimes that were going on around the country. So I think that matches what you were saying. So if crime is going down by me, and the only news that I'm getting by me is what I've always gotten, a newspaper and a, you know, a few stories, that I'm, that's going to match reality. Whereas now I'm hearing about all the stuff going on around the country. I'm going to think, wow, this country is a disaster. There's crime everywhere. It's not so bad by me, though. I think you're 100% correct. There certainly has been a shift in the way that we consume information and media. And I think everything you said is true, right? So we used to read the newspaper. We watched the evening news. Uh, maybe there was national news. Um, but the the volume of information that gets passed along is just so much bigger now, right? So we have all these different channels we're looking at. We have social media where people are constantly filling that up with uh, information or news. And I'm going to put that news in quotes. Um, you have uh, these 24-hour news channels, which are constantly looking for content to put in there. Uh, and so um, these channels have a couple things in common. One, just the sort of capacity of these channels to carry information is much bigger. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is uh, – <laughs> It's demand driven, right? Like we want to know what the risks are. We want to know what is going to happen that could be bad for me. We want to know that more than what would actually be good could happen to us, right? And so again, it's just a matter of preparing for life. We we want to know what the risks are. And so there's a sort of inherent tendency that we want to know the negative information so that we can prepare and deal with it. And um, I think you see that in the way that people provide information, negative news sales, right? It's the thing that People want to know. I don't. I don't want to know a story of someone who overcame an obstacle. I want to know that there's a threat that someone's running around, um, you know, kidnapping people or, you know, doing bad things in my city so that I can lock my doors and you know do all those kinds of things. And so, you have this massive capacity and this almost real time access to it. So if I want to go out and see what's going on in California, I go to the internet and I can know right now almost immediately everything that's going on there. If I want to know what's going on in Singapore. Or Hong Kong, for the most part, I can get access to that information. So I think you're 
you're 100% right that the um, amount of information that we see on the world has increased and the bias of that information is going to be about what is wrong and what the risks are. And so we just have more of this stuff flowing into our minds, um, which I think does shape the perceptions of what's going on out there, right? So going out in the United States. Yeah, I, I don't, I can't think of anything else it could be other than the amount of news we consume. Um, do you have any other ideas? Well, so, so I'm going to differentiate. So if you think about the local area, um, you know, when we shape our perceptions, again, we we largely rely on our experiential data. So the things that we have experienced. And, uh, you know, if you think about local area, you have a lot of experiential data there, right? So, um, you know, you've lived your life, you've seen crime, you haven't seen crime, you know what it was, you know what it is. And so you have some information to actually, um, you know, decide what's going on there. When you don't have that information, then you have to rely on those other sources. And so I think the news media um, is certainly part of it. I also think the interesting thing, particularly around this last year, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to say this is a, you know, this is a trend um, because there's just not that many data points and this kind of stuff has not been asked for eternity. Um, but when you look around the election seasons, the national election seasons, it looks like there's a little bit of a, a spike that's going on there. And, you know, I think one of the challenges that uh, that we have is in the political process and the way that things are messaged when it comes to uh, people trying to convince you to vote for them or to support a particular party or a particular platform. So you think you think it's like uh, politicians and campaigns, they speak about it more? Well, if you think about it, um, what you know, what are you motivated by? Right. Like so. So what causes you to shape your intentions and your behaviors. Are you, are you motivated by fear? Are you motivated by opportunity? Um, you know, what motivates you? Okay, I go back to my youth again. I'd say uh, 20s, teens and 20s, possibly 30s. Yeah, definitely 30s. It was about opportunity, right? I'm, I'm going to take on the world. How can I, how can I get a good job? How can I, how can I afford a, a home? That kind of thing. Now I I guess I got older. I get more conservative. I don't. I'm not looking for opportunities. I'm just looking for safety and security. Yeah. So I'd yeah. say now it's more fear of what could go wrong rather than boy, how can I take on the world? You know, I I'm done with that. Politicians are strategic, right? I mean, they're they're trying to get elected, so they're trying to do things that are going to influence uh, people's perceptions and affiliations and the way that they. Uh, think about the world. And um, one of the things you'll see over and over, and there's actually research that suggests uh, that negative fear-based advertising is more effective than hope-based advertising when it comes to politics, right? And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that uh, why that is true. If you think about uh, when you're afraid, like, so if you were, um, if you were, if you were out in the woods in one of those horror movies, and you got separated from the pack. You got separated from the rest of the folks you were with. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, in the movies, those people always, instead of turning and going back to the other people, are like, ah, I hear a chainsaw out in the woods. Let me go see what's going on with that, right? And that's not how we act in real life, right? In real life, if we are out in the middle of the woods and something makes a noise and instills fear in us, what are we going to do? We're going to return back to the other people, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. There's this inherent psychological process that happens that when we are afraid or when we are stoked by fear, um, we tend to want to return to a group, to associate with a group. And so there's sort of an interesting psychological play that if you can give people fear, 
um, it will make them want to come together, particularly if you have a solution for that, right? So if you say, hey, you should be really afraid of crime, and I have the answer, which is really good, strong law enforcement. You know, that is the answer. You should be afraid because everybody's coming after you, and I've got the answer because I've got strong law enforcement. Um, what you're doing is you're you're providing a basis of fear that fear makes people want to come together. It wants them to come together with people that have solutions. And so it is a really strong um, sort of motivating force in terms of how people will choose to align and how people will choose to vote. Well, sure. And if, and if you're primed for that, if, if security <laughs> hits home, if fear of crime hits home with you, then yeah, that message is going to land and land strongly, I would think. So um, there are two other things that tend to happen when um, we are, aroused by fear. And uh, one of those things is we tend to be more conservative. And the other thing is um, that we tend to sort of focus more on those sort of fast thinking processes and emotion more than sort of logic and reason. And so um, for both political parties, if you can stand up and you can identify for people something that they will be afraid of, and if you can make them afraid of that, and if you can then offer them a solution to that, it will be something that people can rally around and something that will bring people together and something that will um, keep them from thinking logically, but emotionally attached to whatever platform or candidate is actually sort of bringing that message. Yeah, I, I agree. Fear is a great motivator. Yeah. And so I think if you look back at this data, again, I'm not going to say this is a, an absolute truth, but I think um, you do see little spikes around election years, um, particularly last year, there's a huge spike. Um, and you can think about all the different messaging that was happening around, uh, you know, various things of crime and all the stuff that was on TV in terms of riots and um, all the stuff about mass shootings and, and those kinds of things. And so, you know, those are all things that we need to deal with and all things that we need to think about. But I think that exacerbates um, the perception that there is actually um, some big problem and some big thing to fear in the United States and that politicians uh, largely use those things to try to motivate people to turn out and to turn out and vote for uh, for them as individuals. Yeah, and I think it goes hand in hand with what I was talking about earlier, just the, the prevalence of it on your news feeds, right? You're like the riots and everything you talked about, you're seeing it 24-7. So I think that would that would arouse the fear. Yeah. And, you know, um, one thing I should say and one thing I should have said up front, I guess, is um, you know, crime is is a funny and interesting thing, right? It can come in, in lots of different uh, forms. Um, so two things that are true. So in terms of your physical um, well-being, it seems that you're much, much less likely now to be the victim of crime than you would have been historically, generally across the United States. Um, and people, I think, uh, perceive that in their own experiential uh, information that they weigh in order to answer the question about their local area. But when they haven't experienced um, their local area, they're going to actually sort of rely on what they're seeing in the media or what they're being told by politicians or what's going on in their Facebook posts, which is largely negative news as well. And so um, I think it's clear to see how that happens. But um, there is another reality, which is cybercrime or Internet crime is way up. Right. And so um, physical crime is way down in the real world, virtual uh, cybercrime is way up. And, um, you know, on both of these things, in terms of cybercrime, but also in terms of uh, physical crime, and one of the things we always have to kind of temper uh, sort of interpreting this, these numbers with is that 
not all crime gets reported, right? And so cybercrime is way up, but it doesn't all get reported. The fortunate thing is that the folks who work on this on a regular basis, um, you know, try to determine um, what is going on in terms of uh, crime reporting. And it looks like for the most part, particularly in the physical world, that uh, crime reporting percentages are relatively constant. So even if you can't say that the crime rate is some number X and it's exactly right, you can say that the change between X from one time to another, that trend and that difference would be consistent because on average, it seems as though the percentage of crimes that get reported are fairly constant. So, um, you know, the good news story is physical crime is way down. Uh, People's perceptions of it are way off. Um, People overestimate the probability of being a victim of one of those crimes and how bad crime is in their local area but not nearly as bad as they do on the national level. The national level is uh, largely shaped by the information that we see and the messages that we receive on a regular basis. And so um, this past year, the disconnect between the perception of local and national crime rates is the biggest it's ever been. Um, There's this sort of strange phenomenon that's happening where those perceptions and the reality continue to grow further and further apart, particularly over the past few years. So perception and reality is getting worse in this case. At least over the past few years. Um, And especially when it comes to the sort of uh, national level of crime. Yeah. And I think you hit on a very good point, the cyber crime. I think that's very underreported and that's where, that's where most of the the crime is increasing these days. And that's not going to be reflected in these numbers, especially if these numbers started back in the nineties when cyber crime was virtually non-existent at the beginning of the nineties. Yeah, but these um, these numbers are reflective of property crime and of violent crime. The numbers around cybercrime are going up astronomically, maybe even right. doubling and tripling, uh, you know, year over year in some cases. And so um, while this is a really good news story, and, and again, you know, I don't want to minimize any of the things that are happening that are negative, right? So you know, people have lost their lives and murders. Um, you know, lots of people still get their car stolen or their property uh, broken into or vandalized or whatever. And those are things we need to continue to work on. But this is another really good news story. The good news story is that crime in the United States is way down. It's been cut in half. And, you know, I should say, like, even places that get held up, places like Chicago and, you know, those kinds of things where people say, ah, crime is so bad here. It is. It is really high there. But it has also gone down. In some of those places, you see little spikes or short-term spikes. Chicago in 2016 had a bit of a spike, kind of went back down. It seems to be spiking a little bit more recently. But across that time, it's down. Um, It's not down as much as the rest of the country, but it is certainly down. And so, um, you know, across the board, when it comes to the sort of physical world, crime has gotten much better over the past three decades. Well, that's certainly surprising. Again, just like with traffic accidents, my perception definitely does not match reality. Even if I thought eh, it's probably a little better, no way would I have thought it's got it's gotten that much better. And if we keep finding these things, I'm going to start calling this the Sunshine Podcast. Yeah, so yeah. I, I have a feeling we're coming to a dead end <laughs> on the good news stories pretty soon. No, no, no. Well, there, there's still several more of these, and um, we'll come back to those. But uh, yeah, again, it's just it's just another scenario where the reality of what's going on when you look at the actual information and data is a lot different than the perceptions that most people walk around with. 
And that disconnect is not driven by, uh, you know, information and data. It's driven by psychological and sociological processes. And so one of the things I always want people to realize is when you think about, um, you know, living in a world of big data and analytics, um, a big part of it is making sure you have good data and that you apply solid analytics. A bigger part of it is making sure that you think about the problems, that you get the right data, that you stop collaborate and listen, that you, you know, get different perspectives and that you shape and form your opinions based on that data and analysis, as opposed to uh, relying so much on those uh, psychological processes, which can, you know, in a lot of cases help us, but in a lot of cases uh, uh, lead us astray. Yeah, well, it's definitely me. I mean, I I look at like last week's episode, I look at the drivers, they're always texting, they're always on their phones. So that's got to be getting worse. I look around, all I see today when I get on my phone, it's bad news, bad news, crime, crime. So I, I got to think that's getting worse too. So I I definitely could learn from that. And, and the one place, again, where this shows up over and over for me is when it comes to health interventions and, uh, you know, sort of pseudo-medical advice. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that said, well, my friend took this and they felt better um, yeah. or, or my friend did this and it helped them. And uh, I think one of the things we always have to be cautious about is um, that anecdotal experience, right? So if you're the victim of a crime in the past six months, you think it's getting worse. If you're not, you think it's getting better potentially in your local area. Um, But the reality is um, that is just a small set of the occurrences and the outcomes. You have to look at this information across broader sets of the population with bigger samples in order to really understand uh, you know, what's going on, what's being effective, what's not being effective, and what the real trends actually are. Look at the numbers, baby. All the time. All right. Welcome back, Donnie. That was another good news story. Crime is going down. Um, we didn't talk about why crime is going down. Do we want to get into that today? Well, it's, you know, it's an interesting conversation, although it is a very complicated conversation. There are all kinds of theories. Some things that you think might be related to it aren't. Some things that you think aren't probably are. There's, you know, some conversation about lead um, that, you know, there's the, the lead poisoning tend to make people act irrationally. And so because there's less lead, maybe that's reduced crime. There's some things around family structures. Um, there's some things around uh, policing and incarceration rates. And you know, the interesting thing is most of the studies show that uh, policing and incarceration rates are not as strongly related to these things as you might think. But it's a really complicated story. And the biggest deal is it is so specific to a particular area, it's so specific to, you know, what's happening in an area relative to gang activity, organized crime, um, you know, what's happening into a particular area in terms of socioeconomics. And so um, there are lots of reasons why this might be true, and it is um, really hard um, to disentangle all those things and what their impacts are. So it's a great question. Um, you know, we would have to spend hours and hours kind of talking through that. And I encourage people to go look. I think there are some interesting studies, but I also encourage people to realize that any individual study is not going to have the answer. And I think there's still a body of sort of work accumulating in this area to try to explain some of those things. Um, and there's still quite a bit of ambiguity in terms of what the real causal relationships actually are. Okay. So there's no one big thing to point at. Uh, 
No, not not in a convincing way. There are certainly um, certain things that people will attribute uh, to reducing those crime rates. Um, and every politician obviously argues that they're the ones who who did it. It was their policies and you know their choices um, <laughs> that made the difference. Right. Uh, but it's uh, it's just an aggregate trend, and so uh, it's 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 hard to uh, you know give that to any one person. The other thing I should say too, um, and I should also say this about the traffic accidents conversation we had last week. Um, the data lags a little bit from year to year. Like it takes time to accumulate it, make sure it's right, all those kinds of things. And so the data from 2020 is still kind of coming in in a lot of these uh, numbers and statistics. And so even on the traffic data, there's an emerging story that might be fairly interesting, which is it looks like maybe traffic fatalities went up a, l- a little bit um, last year, even though there was a lot less driving going on. And, you know, I think that might be an interesting conversation as to why that happened. But uh, but but a detailed and sort of specific conversation would need to be had about that. The same is true with crime rates. Everything we're talking about here today is crime um, you know, up through uh, sort of the 2019, early 2020, some of the more recent stuff um, hasn't been put in there. And so we might see, um, you know, the patterns that, that have been happening over the past few decades shift a little bit or change or spike a little bit here in 2020, just because there was so much turmoil uh, in the United States. Um, and so I don't want to lose that fact either, that we might see uh, a little bit of a different story from 2020, but it is uh, largely... Uh, likely to be just blips based on the pandemic and all the things associated with that. Right. Fair enough. All right. So we've had two good news stories in a row. I don't know what you've got in store for us next week, but I'm willing to bet the good news stories come to an end right here. Maybe well, we'll, we'll see, but um, I am, we, we should change this to the sunshine podcast. We want to bring, <laughs> we want to bring light into the world with all of the good things that have been happening. And again, you know, I really, I, I really do want to go sit down with a lot of these, uh, you know, groups of people that sit around in the mornings at these fast food restaurants eating breakfast and be like, hey, let me give you some facts here. You know, let, let, let's talk through this. Let's talk about what the reality of some of these things actually are. But uh, but yeah, there, there are certainly some things that are not trending in good directions. And we'll, we'll talk about some of those and uh, uh, we'll see what comes up next. But I'm looking forward to it. And again, for all you all who are listening, we really do appreciate it. Um, if you have any thoughts, input, questions, problems, concerns, whatever, you can always reach out to us at anamythics um, at gmail.com. And uh, we will certainly try to get back to you as uh, fast as we possibly can. And uh, otherwise, we hope you all have a great week. And Rob, I really, again, appreciate you being a part of this. And we hope everybody stays happy and healthy. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks, Donnie. See you. It's like food for your ears.